0: in improvisational theater there is an adage that says make your partner look good in leadership and business relationships this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues welcome to partner up with amy carroll speaking with guests and listeners like you Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm your host, and I'm delighted to be here with you. Today is the first episode of this radio show, so I thought it would be a good idea to get to know me a little bit and my background. To assist me in this process, I've invited my good friend, Karen Che. Welcome, Karen. Welcome, Karen. Hello. Thank you, Amy. So Karen's going to be, I'm glad you are, because I'm very happy that you're here. Karen's going to be interviewing me. And I want to tell you more about Karen and who she is before she gets started. Now, how we met. You know you know someone pretty well when you've known each other for 18 years. And I know that it's been almost 18 years that Karen and I have met because she was eight months pregnant on a stage at a women's conference, this amazing women's conference called WIN, Women in Networking, and she's this tiny, itty-bitty person, so you can only imagine what she looked like on stage at eight months pregnant, looking and sounding very impressive, and she was talking about what she does professionally, and when I heard her speak, I just thought, I know I need to be around this woman. I need need to be in her energy. I need to be in her life, so once that was clear, things started moving forward, So um, let me tell you what Karen does professionally. Karen Shea is an international human rights lawyer, ordained minister, and a former San Francisco public defender. Karen moved to Cambodia in 1994 from the U.S. in order to train the country's first core group of public defenders. Subsequently, she served as a United Nations judicial mentor. After witnessing hundreds of prisoners of all ages being held without trials, usually after being tortured into making so-called confessions, Karen formed IBJ, International Bridges to Justice. And that was in the year 2000. IBJ is this awesome place because it's creating the conditions for a new normal injustice where citizens will have the, have access to justice and the ending of the use of torture as an investigative tool. For the past 20 years, International Bridges to Justice has been growing their presence now in 48 countries. IBJ has supported more than 30,000 lawyers and defenders who have represented more than, get it, 400,000 detainees. Pretty impressive. Among others, Karen is a recipient of, the, of awards from Skoll Foundation, from the American Bar Association of Human Rights Award, the Gleisman International Award, and Harvard Divinity School. And she was named one of America's best leaders by both U.S. News and World Report. And just think I get to be your friend. (laughs) Now, before I pass it to you, Karen, one more minute, I just want to tell the listeners one more thing. One of my values is honest communication and being able to speak my truth in a way that others can hear it. And that for others to be able to do the same, speak their truth in a way others can hear it. Now, one of the things I most appreciate about our friendship is that I know, Karen, you are going to tell me your truth whether I like it or not. (laughs) So I'm forever grateful for that.
2: Thank you, Amy. Well, Amy, I am forever grateful to you as well and really delighted to be here on Voice America. Your show name is Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I know you had multiple title ideas. I have a list right here. Can you tell me the thinking behind some of them, please, starting with
1: Communication 101? Well, yeah, a lot of American listeners will know that when you go to university, one of the basic classes you take is whatever, Accounting 101 or Advertising 101. Well, so I thought Communication 101 would make sense because the skills that I talk about are so basic and so essential to everyday communication that it made sense. Now, the tricky part is is they may be basic the and they may be very easy to understand. It's the application that many of us are challenged by, often because it means we have to get rid of our ego and put that to the side. So, you know, I thought that. I also, I think there's a book that's called What You Should Have Learned in Kindergarten. That was another contending title. <laughs> Thanks. And the
2: next being
1: Master Communicator or Emotional Mastery. Yeah, I was playing with these titles because the work I do makes me think of a martial art. Now, Karen, you what's the martial art that you do? Taekwondo. Taekwondo, okay. And in Taekwondo, they have belts, right? Right. Okay, so just like I know a little bit about karate, there's multiple belts. You start at a white belt. You move up to eventually a brown and a black belt. And I would say my communication now is at a level of brown belt, black belt on, on good days. And then I found out that there's a whole nother series of black belts, like 13 series of black belts that you can achieve. So for me, I see this work of being partner as a, a, an ongoing mastery of skills. And there's some days that i may actually actually able to tiptoe into that, one of those upper levels of black belt when I have to handle a particularly challenging situation and I've done it well. Nice. How about, I love this title, Quit <laughs> yeah. Being a Jerk. Hashtag jerk-like behavior. <laughs> tell us where that thought came from. Oh, that, that was my mischievous title because really, sometimes when I, when I work with clients and they tell me these stories of these mishaps and things they did or things people did to them, I'm, I'm astounded. I just, I, I just want to scream, Quit Being a Jerk! And sometimes I have to say that in the mirror as well, because I certainly have mastered the skill of being a jerk at times. So um, that's where that title idea came from. How about the last one? Seriously? Question mark. (laughs) Exclamation,
2: exclamation, exclamation.
1: Uh, This one and I don't know if listeners have ever watched Grey's Anatomy. Karen, do you know Grey's Anatomy? Not very well. I, I've, I've heard of it. And I might have seen an episode or two somewhere, but I don't, I don't have a very distinct memory. Well, I was pretty hooked on Grey's Anatomy for many years. And one of the things I noticed was that various characters would have their version of the expression, seriously. So sometimes it would be like this really innocent, naive, seriously? And sometimes it would be more like, Seriously? Like, you've got to be kidding me, or seriously, you know, and you could hear idiot at the end of it. So I, I've played around with that title for a while as well. Well, I think we all love the ones that you came up with, which is partner up with Amy Carroll. <laughs>
2: Going back to the first one, Communication 101. Did you, do you ever receive um, sort of feedback from people that they don't need your course because they don't need communication one-on-one that they're, you know, they're fine communicators and why would they need this? And I know oh, that yeah. you have coached a lot of people, including very high level CEOs and whatnot, who obviously have some strong communication skills. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who are concerned that they, you know, they don't need communication one-on-one because they're high flying, fantastic communication. Do you think this is the type of, show that could be applicable to everyone, people
1: with, with backgrounds in communication mm-hmm. and without backgrounds. Yeah. In the 20 years I've been doing this work officially, I have literally only come across one guy in Paris mm. that I had nothing for him. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was gifted and skilled. I, I will admit he was, there was one little thing that I had. He would be pushing his glasses up with his middle finger. He didn't realize he was doing this. And I was like, okay, I don't have a lot, though. I think this one thing is going to be useful for you. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine. Oh, my goodness. Great. Right. So when I pointed that out, he's like, oh, geez, I got to change that. Though other than that, his skill set was brilliant. So I think based on that, shockingly, there seems to be almost Some always something points. for people. Yeah. Great. Oh, you've been in Switzerland for 25 years now. What brought you here originally? Yeah, so uh, I'll backtrack. I grew up, you and I, as uh, listeners may be able to tell from accents, we're both from the U.S. originally. I grew up on the East Coast. You grew up, grew up on the West Coast. I lived in this town in Westchester County called Pelham, very white neighborhood that um, when I was 15, we moved to the Midwest. And then from the Midwest, we moved to... Um, Michigan. Now, the thing was, though, when I was a kid growing up, I had just this fabulous exposure to different cultures thanks to both my parents. My father had this job as an executive director of a networking organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. This allowed him to travel around the globe. And he would come back from these trips with stories and we always have the photo night, you know, where he would put his slide cartridge in and we would go through all the pictures of safaris and, and all sorts of amazing outings and experiences he had. So that started to whet my appetite for the interest of other cultures. And then when I was eight years old, my mother went back to work and she started a job as a inner city school teacher for a second grade class in the Bronx. So it was a pretty rough neighborhood. And I was at eight at the time, so she would. I love the fact that she'd take me with her. And mm. so these kids were my peers, and it was just fascinating for me to be able to walk into the classroom and to see kids of all different cultures and races and to be able to connect with them. And so that really cemented the desire for me to get to experience and explore other cultures. And then uh, fast forward, I'm in my I guess 20s, 30s, and and I'd been I studied French in high school, forgot everything, started again in college, and I knew that I wanted to live in a French-speaking country, and I would tell my friends this, and I was already living in Michigan at this point, so going any further north, I knew it was just not possible. As nice as those Canadians are, there was just no way I could get up to Montreal. I just couldn't. So one day, a good friend of mine, Sharon, said, Amy, I found your dream job. And she said, plus, I've written your cover letter for you for the job application. This is how well Sharon knew me. She also knew I procrastinated. And she said, sign at the bottom. I'll visit you at Christmas. So in 1995, I moved to a little mountain village in the French part of Switzerland. And as they say, the rest is history. Fantastic. And do you feel that being in
2: Switzerland allows you to work globally? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's such a easy location and the culture and the country is so international that I think I have even more exposure to other cultures than if I was still in the States, perhaps. Mm
2: -hmm. So officially, you've been coaching, training and speaking to business leaders and other professional groups around the globe for the past 20 years. And unofficially, for over thirty-seven years, what does unofficially mean? And you don't look like you could have done it anyway for unofficially <laughs> <you>. thirty-seven.
1: Years. <laughs> That's why you're my friend. <laughs> so, um, when I was fifteen, um, my I come from this big Irish Catholic family, and my. Older siblings were already living their lives when we moved from New York to the Chicago area. And my sister, Pat, who I was closest to, there was a 10-year age difference. She was living in California. And we we really missed each other. So as a way to be able to spend time together, she would fly me out to California and take me to work with her. And she'd just stick me in the back of, you know, she was a trainer for presentation skills and different things. So she'd just you know, put me in the back of the classroom and I just would sit there and be fascinated. Well, unbeknownst to me, I was absorbing things, visit after visit after visit. So what happened was, I think it was maybe, let's say 10 years ago, I was in New Mexico and I looked up my old college roommate, Juliet, and she was my, my first year roommate, freshman year roommate. And... Julia said, so Amy, what are you doing professionally? I told her. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you did that with me. I said, what do you mean? She said, yeah, 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 you coached me. I said, no, no, that's not possible. She said, yeah, yeah, you coached me. I said, no, thats I was 19. I, I didn't know what I was talking about. I couldn't have coached you. She said, well, you coached me. <laughs> and then she went on to explain that she had a job interview. And apparently, I told her exactly how she should behave and speak and sit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, "And you know, I got the job. So clearly you were good at what you're doing. <laughs> so that's what I mean by unofficial, that I've been doing this apparently since the age of 19. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I wonder, too, because
2: when you tell us the story, it almost seems like it wasn't anything you were doing consciously. It right. was just it's part of your muscle memory. It's just it's part of yep. who you are, part of the lens in which you see the world. Is that also part of your model now that, it, that you build a muscle? And Absolutely. Part of who you are so
1: that it's not even always conscious. It is now. Yeah, I'm able to step in and be partner under pressure without a lot of conscious thought. When it's really hyper serious or very threatening or I'm, I'm not in a place of resilience, then I've got to mechanically do it. Uh, and, uh, and it's right, I, I talk about creating muscle memory, that if we right. do it over and over and over again, it becomes unconscious, just like in a martial art where you can, after years of practice, you can do these things without any conscious thought. Okay. So, Amy, I know you
2: very well, and you've shared many past communication disasters. I've also shared many past communication disasters with you when I've had to, like, call you suddenly go, Amy! <laughs> Communication disaster, but, or, and, ooh, you don't like, but, and, and, (laughs) um, luckily, I'm interviewing you, and you are not interviewing me, so can you tell us your aha moment? Like, when did the light bulb go on, and you realized that you weren't the world's best communicator? (laughs) Maybe the best communicator, but not the
1: world's. Yeah, not even, so... Okay, so let me rewind. Remember, I was saying when I was 15 years old. So about that same age, I started working part-time jobs. And job after job after job, I had a difficult boss. Now, luckily, I have a very supportive family. So I would call up my sister, Pat, and I'd say, Pat, you're not going to believe it. I've got a jerk for a boss. She said, oh, Amy, that's that's really bad luck. Next job, same thing, Same same phone call, same supportive response. Oh, that's really bad luck. All right, let's just fast forward to... I'm now in my mid-20s. I've had about seven to eight jobs under my belt. And consistently, job after job, difficult boss. So I call up my sister, Pat, in the latest uh, episode, and I tell her, Pat, you're not going to believe it. She says, "Uh, let me guess, difficult boss? I said, yeah, how did you know? She said, Amy, honey, no one has this kind of bad luck. (laughs) And that was the moment with the light bulb went on, because I thought, Oh, that, you mean I, I'm the common denominator in all these relationships? I'm the one causing the problems? And when I realized that, after I got off, past the initial shock, there was this sense of, I was so motivated to figure it out and inspired and, and clear that I wanted to. The problem was I didn't have a clue how to fix it. So the good news is I didn't need to know the how right away. I just, as long as I had that motivation to change, that was good enough. And from there, I took classes and I did therapy and I followed self-development courses. And about 15 years later, because at that point, we didn't have a clear use of this model. I'll be telling you about in a little while. This was really just me uh, shooting in the dark, trying to figure it all out. Though after a 15-year span, I finally hit a level of, you know, a certain level of mastery.
2: Well, I have to say I am super happy that I, by the time I met you 18 years <laughs> ago, you already had a clear view of the model. I did. <laughs> and I, I still remember hearing you for the first time talk about predator-prey partner and, and just thinking it was, it was fascinating. Can you can you tell us about this? When you use this terminology, predator, prey, partner, where does this come from?
1: So once again, sister Pat, 10 years older. Her mission was to help people find a way to communicate effectively. And she started at a pretty early age, too, on this path. And over many years, studying many different disciplines and Working hard at this, she created this model of predator prey partner I call them three archetypes, and she's done such a beautiful job of making it incredibly user friendly friendly and simplistic because it boils down to the body language, the voice, and the words. So let me give you an example. most of the time, most of us are behaving apart as partners. The problem is under pressure, stress, perceived threat, crisis, covid, or just if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. We can get pulled into one of these extremes of predator or prey. The predator is a person who holds too much respect for herself, not enough for others. So let's imagine you and I are colleagues, and we're on a phone call, and we've run into a glitch. We're, we're in a bit of a conflict with each other, and we're frustrated. If I was to react towards you as a predator, it might sound something like this. "Yeah, Karen, Karen I know. Karen, I get... Karen, would you just let me speak a minute? Fine, thank you. You so, So you hear the sarcasm and the condescending tone, and you probably could even hear idiot at the end of one of those phrases. So if I react to you that way, there's a high probability you're going to feel offended or intimidated or both. Either way, I could damage the relationship. And it's not my intention. My intention is just to get results. So a lot of predators are not even conscious that they're showing up as predators, which is good news and bad news. I'll probably talk about that another time on another show if we don't have time today. The other extreme is the prey. And this is P-R-E-Y, although they're often P-R-A-Y-ing because they're usually really nice people. And they're holding too much respect for the other one and not enough for themselves. So, if we're on that same phone call, and we're having that same conflict. A prey might react to you this way: "Yeah, yeah, Karen, I, I know, I know, I know, I, but, 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 Karen, Karen, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Karen, I'm, I'm so sorry. Could I, could I, could I just? Ex- I'm, I'm sorry. Could I explain? And the danger of that is that even though my intention is posit- positive, to show you lots of respect." I'm doing it at the cost of my own self-respect because that could trigger even someone like you, even you who lives and breathes partner. You could become a predator towards me because I'm triggering that reaction inside of you, probably unconsciously.
2: Wow! So we're actually encouraging even non-predator people to become predator by prey-like behavior by being too nice. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So the idea is to. Live, breathe, eat, partner. Step in partner before you need it. Stay in partner when the going gets tough and remain in partner even if you don't get what you want because the intention is to preserve the relationship. Because mm-hmm. if you preserve the relationship, then there's still a chance that you'll get the results. So that's the, uh, the, the um, overview of partner. Right, and are there
2: are there exceptions? Are there any exceptions for when going predator or prey is a positive thing?
1: Well, uh, people ask me that. Well, Amy, isn't there in a, you know an excuse? Isn't there a moment? Isn't there a time? And I used to say no, never. Well, I've edited this opinion slightly over the years. I still believe prey is dangerous, and here's an example of why I based it on that. Um, let me see. It's probably. 10 or 12 years ago, maybe more, I was hired by the United Nations in Geneva to do some training, communication training. And in order to work for them, I needed to take a four-hour online course. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, I'm, this is a waste of time. I'm not going to learn anything. And then I slapped myself, metaphorically, of course, and I said, Amy, get a grip and maybe you'll learn something. So I sat down and I listened to the course. And sure enough, there was a golden nugget in there for me, and what they said it was, it was bizarre at first. They said, "If you're ever taken hostage," and I'm looking. I'm doing communication coaching in Geneva. I don't think I'm. This is a high probability. And I said, "Amy, again, just chill, girl. Just keep listening." They said, "If you're ever taken hostage, never cry, plead, or beg for your life." Essentially, they were saying. Do not go prey under any circumstances. Now, my feeling with going predator is I used to think, oh, no, never go predator. Now I've edited that to suggest that, not to suggest that, to say that the one time I think I could justify going predator is if my life or someone else's life is at risk, then maybe going predator is the best option. And even then, sometimes... Going partner might even be a better option. Hmm. So, you know, that's something that each person has to decide for themselves. And that question you asked me earlier about the muscle memory, the challenge is under pressure, stress, proceed through a crisis, or even if we're just hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If we have not developed our inner partner muscles, there's a low probability that they will be available to us in those high-stress situations. So I always... I encourage people to practice, practice, practice right. in low-stress right. moments. And,
2: and is that, why would somebody resist going partner?
1: Okay, yeah. This happens a lot, and I see this in the trainings. So remember how I said that partner is made up of body language, voice, and words. So when I'm coaching a predator, I'm coaching them to move more towards partner. So I might coach them to smile more, to let themselves be interrupted, to ask questions. And just those things alone can make someone who's naturally predator feel silly, stupid, or ridiculous. So of course, if they're feeling silly, stupid, or ridiculous, they don't want to go partner. A prey resists going partner because I might be coaching them to speak louder, keeping their body still, holding direct eye contact, more silence. And the challenge for the pray is that they feel rude aggressive or disrespectful or or arrogant so that's why i use video cameras in my trainings because that closes the gap really fast that is great well
2: we're going to take a short break now you're listening to partner up with amy carroll on voice america business channel
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she's been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude. Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Call into the program today with questions or comments or your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to share. The toll-free number in North America is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Amy at carolcoaching.com now back to partner up with amy Carroll. here again is amy
2: welcome back to partner up with amy Carroll. amy you once told me about a book when the body says no understanding the stress disease connection by gabor mate how
1: can this relate to the ppp model Yeah, this was fascinating. So Gabor Mate is a Hungarian-born Canadian physician, and he studied, I think his background's in family practice, and he was fascinated by childhood development and trauma and the lifelong impacts that they have. Now, in his book, and I read this book several years ago, so I'm going to be paraphrasing here. He talks about three archetypes. He said there's type A, type B, type C. He said type A people are people who tend to have um, like bursts of anger and they they can be aggressive at times. He said what we see with this type of individual is heart attacks and strokes. Now, what he described sound like someone who could appear as a predator. Then he skips over the B t- group and he goes on to group C and describes them as people who – are, have weak boundaries, have difficulties standing up for themselves and don't, and aren't always, um, assertive. That sounds to me like a prey. And he said, now people who are in this category, what he has noticed is that they tend to have autoimmune illnesses and suffer from cancer. Then he said, type B are people who have strong, healthy boundaries and are assertive and they, uh, express themselves clearly. And in this group he said this type of person doesn't seem to have any related illnesses. And I was shocked. Because for me this is saying really clearly that if you choose to live partner in your life, it pays off in you know with better health potentially. Wow,
2: that is that's amazing. So it's not just because you're a better communicator and you're stronger at work and you're stronger in your family relations. It's actually a health issue. As
1: well, yeah. As well. And, and I really want to say something to the listeners right now because there's a chance that, especially someone who may be suffering from this or knows someone who's suffering from one of these illnesses, you may be think about to start getting defensive or upset or feeling guilty or ashamed. And I really encourage listeners, don't go there. OK, just just notice and see if you can just separate that out and say, OK, this is interesting information. Perhaps there's something here for me. Perhaps there is an opportunity for me to improve my communication or maybe, you know, being a good model for your children so they can improve their communication to perhaps um, help end the cycle of disease in some way or another. So I I know that sounds very oversimplified. So I really encourage people to just take it with a grain of salt. Right, right. Well,
2: thank you, Amy. Can we talk about another great book? And in fact, for those (laughs) who can't see, I see this fantastic book right behind you with the green poking its head out. Yes, Um, product placement. (laughs) Yes, we've been talking about your work as a coach, trainer, speaker, and author. Tell us about how your book, The Ego Tango,
1: uh, fits into this and the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. This. Um, so when we go back to the model of Predator Prey Partner, and I tell people that I work with them in two directions, from outside in and from inside out. What I mean by that is from outside in, how to look and sound like a partner. So through the body language, the voice, the words. And then from inside out, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you telling yourself that's helping you to stay in partner or pulling you out of partner? So, I wrote this book, The Ego Tango. And this is full of, I say there's seven partner mindset techniques. There's actually nine partner mindset techniques. And let me give you some examples. Okay. So, like, um, here's one make up another story. Let's imagine you've got a, you're in a team meeting. And you're in the process of explaining something. And you notice that you've got this team member, this colleague, who's maybe they're slouching in their chair, or they're rolling their eyes, or uh, they, maybe they're interrupting you. Maybe they're saying uh, things that they're disagreeing or criticizing you. Now, for many of us, that would cause us to either go predator or go prey, you know, get defensive and aggressive, or get upset and withdraw, what I encourage people to do right in that moment is catch themselves. One, catch the reaction you're having, and then the second step is ask yourself, "What story did I just make up?" And more than likely, you've made up a story that, hey, that my colleague is, you know, disrespecting me. My colleague's out to get me. My colleague is um, wanting me, wanting me to look stupid in front of everyone else. Whatever that might be. And if obviously, if we make up a story like that, of course, we're going to go predator or prey. So the trick is catch it so that you can shift into partner. And the way to shift into partner is to make up a different story. Mm -hmm. So if I rewind to that colleague, I might say, oh, maybe he or she is uh, feeling anxious or defensive because they're going to be presenting to the CEO later. Or maybe they didn't get the uh, positive work for you that they were expecting. Or maybe they're having problems with their partner at home. Or maybe the family pet has died. The point is, I don't know what is really going on for that person. And my job right in that moment is to manage my emotional state so that I don't react as a predator prey and then have to clean it up afterwards. And... Now, people might be thinking, well, Amy, isn't that making up an excuse or justifying that person's behavior? Not at all. Because you then, after the team meeting, you can then decide, do I want to go and have a chat with my colleague and talk about what happened? And I encourage people to do that. I encourage people to have those conversations. The problem is many of us don't trust how we're going to do it. We don't, we're not convinced we'll do it well, so then we don't do it at all. Mm-hmm. So we sweep it on the rug. We convince ourselves it's no big deal. We let it go or we think we're letting it go. And when, in fact, you know, the metaphorical rug, we keep sweeping it on the rug, and then we're likely to explode. And if we don't explode at our colleague, we might explode at someone when we're home. So the idea is be brave, and if it's really an issue for you and you can't get past it, fine. Go talk to that colleague though, don't do it right after the meeting. And maybe even not the next day. You might need a couple of days to cool off. You might need a week. You might need more. When you're ready, and then while you're preparing, you are thinking about, what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? And maybe grab a good friend like I have. And Karen, say, Karen, okay, I want to say this. And how does this sound? And, and then Karen's probably going to say, ooh, Amy, that's kind of snarky. Ooh, no, I hear some sarcasm there. And so someone who's going to speak their truth to you can let you know how that sounds and how it's likely to land. And then I'll rehearse saying it slowly and calmly. So I would go to Chris and say, hey, Chris, do you have a few minutes? I'd like to talk to you about the meeting last week. And I'll make sure that we've both been fe- recently fed and watered. We're in a quiet, private place. And I'd say, Chris, I what I noticed was while I was speaking, uh, um, I, I – I noticed you in, you spoke at the same time as me and you were saying things that you disagreed with or you know I might say I I don't know if I imagined it it looked like you were rolling your eyes and I wasn't sure if that was about me or and then maybe Chris is going to say, "Well, yeah, you know, Amy, I gave you all that data for that report and you didn't give me any 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 uh, what it, credit for that." And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no wonder he's annoyed. (laughs) Or the other benefit is maybe Chris was out of line. And he might apologize. And if he doesn't, he's at least gotten the message from you, hey, buddy, not cool. Don't do that. So you've been able to confront him in a partner-like appropriate way. So that, for me, is a brilliant benefit of this mindset technique of making up another story. And what I like about your example is that
2: it's clear that this is not just for interpersonal relationships with your friends and your family, but also very applicable to the business world. Can you tell us more about how this applies to the business world?
1: Yeah. Um, One of the other mindset techniques, and I know, Karen, you and I have talked about this, is pretend not to notice when the other person is being a jerk. This is probably, I think I was going to say pretty tough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, oh my, oh my. That's one of the, this is the hardest one for my ego. And the reason, so let's imagine, and I'm not even talking about like Chris in the meeting. I'm talking about far more aggressive than that. Like a client who's just violently upset or a, a senior leader who's really angry. Sometimes people, when they're in the position of power, they tend to misbehave. We've probably, many of people, I, often I'll take a survey and I say, who in the room in this training class has ever been yelled at? And inevitably, Karen, I'd say 90%, sometimes 100% of the people raise their hands. We've wow. all been verbally aggressed by, at one point or another, personally or professionally. And so what I do is I do this demonstration where I have a brave volunteer come and yell at me and I, and I say, okay, I need you to be really crazy aggressive with me. And I show exactly how aggressive I want them to be they're like, okay, all right, I can do that. And then they do it. And then I say, and and before they do it, I say, only stay predator. If you're motivated to, if you want to change, change inevitably within 10, 15, maybe sometimes it takes 20 seconds. That person will inevitably transform into a reasonable person because of the way I respond to them and this takes a lot of muscle memory to be able to train your body to not react. And I'm talking not even raising an eyebrow, not moving quickly, not interrupting. And, and so there's I, in fact I have on my website a video of what this looks like to be able to what I call neutralize the aggressive person. So people can check that out. And this to me is it's just incredibly magical when and the reason why it works, because people are like, nah, I don't think so. So here, here's my question, Karen, if someone's being verbally aggressive to you and you're able to stay calm, cool and collected, why do you think, what do you, what do you think they're expecting when they're being aggressive to you? What, what reaction are they expecting from you? They're expecting me to get upset
2: and start either yelling at them or to go very quiet and
1: yep accept it or take it. And maybe start crying. Yeah, And maybe start crying. So essentially, they're expecting you to either go predator or go prey. And when they get neither reaction, what happens in their brain is very quickly is confusion. Like I said, sometimes 10 seconds or less this can happen. And then after confusion, their thought is, I'm going to look really stupid in a second if I keep misbehaving. So that I, we're by you managing your own behavior, you're getting the other person to recalibrate their behavior, which is why this pretend not to notice technique is just insanely powerful. Great. Well, Amy, one
2: thing we didn't cover is
1: where can listeners get your book? Oh, yeah. They can go to Amazon, the Ego Tango Amy Carroll, and look for the Pretty pretty Green. Pretty Green. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Amy, why did you decide to join Voice America and
2: create a radio show?
1: Well, I've always had this fantasy to have my own radio show, which – so I haven't told too many people about this. So when I got this invitation through an email, I was thinking, whoa, this is crazy. Who knows? And I was kind of like thinking, is someone like trying to, to spoof me here and, and just they're goofing around with me? So I did my due diligence. I checked out Voice America and I found that their philosophy And approach is very similar to mine, professionally and personally. And having listened to a variety of their radio show hosts, the content I find is like rich and useful and inspiring. And so for me, it was a no brainer to be able to have a wider platform to offer listeners no nonsense, entertaining and useful user friendly ways is more like the way I like to describe it. Ways to improve their communication. It was just an easy decision.
2: Well, I think it's great because it's just like more wonderful Amy into the world. I mean, those of us <laughs> who have the, have the honor of interacting with you personally just you know, know and love you, and, and it seems like more, I'm sure, more and more people are going to just know and love
1: you. Thank you. You know, Karen, you were asking about the book, and there was a story I wanted to share, which I think you'll find particularly interesting because of the work you do. One of the other partner mindset techniques that I use a lot, in fact, is kind of my personal mantra is make your partner look good. And this, for me, comes from improvisational theater. Now, you know I do improv. I'm in two different improv troupes. And one of the tenets of improv is accept the offer and make the person, your partner on stage, look good because that's how you advance a scene. So let's imagine I'm doing a scene, you and I are doing a scene, and you come over to me and you say, Hey, grandma, how you doing today? And I look at you, I say, I don't know who you are. Well, I've essentially just blocked your offer. And if you're not a skilled improviser, that scene could just die in the water right there. So my job instead is if I didn't too bad, if I didn't want to be the grandma on that scene, I'm the grandma right then and there. Well, though, a very gifted improviser could do this. Let's so I'm, I've just blocked you and said I'm not your grandma. And what you could do with that is you could take it and you turn to someone off stage and say, "Oh, well, it looks like grandma's getting worse. The dementia's kicking in. You no, know, she doesn't even recognize me anymore." And so what you've done is you have taken a block and you've turned it into an offer, which is just like the brilliance of improv and I think one of the reasons why people love watching it on stage. Now, And this is something I'm going to be talking about in future episodes is the power of improv. And so something I heard years ago was, oh, oh, no, no. Before I tell you the story, let me explain now. Um, So what I encourage people to do is to cut and paste the concepts of improv into their professional and their personal lives So when I say partner, whoever your partner is, I'm not just talking about the person you're legally wed to for many years. I'm talking about the person who's sitting across from you on the train. I'm talking about the person on the phone who you're calling at the credit card company because you've been overcharged. Whoever you're interacting with at any given moment, they become your partner. And so the story I heard was about a prisoner, and I think this was in the U.S., uh, this prisoner was being interrogated because they had information that apparently was going to be critical in helping to save other people. It kind of sounds like a scene out of a typical uh, law and order show, which and, I hate by the way, but I, don't know, right? <laughs> I have, uh, there's other, don't episodes. believe them. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the, uh, this one particular prisoner was a, a diabetic And after multiple attempts to interrogate this guy to get the needed information, and they were going nowhere, one day, one of the prison guards brought cookies in that were diabetic-friendly cookies. So they probably had no sugar. And he said to the prisoner, you know, I got you these cookies. I know you're diabetic, so they're special cookies for you. The prisoner started talking. And I'm thinking, seriously, that's all it took? Some cookies? So when you analyze it, really what that was about was respect. That yes. prison guard who was in a position of power showed respect for that prisoner. Mm, great point. Yeah.
2: And, and just showing respect can make that much of a difference. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I feel like, being on the show today with you, I'm getting tons and tons of happy little nuggets as well. So can
1: you tell me what can listeners expect on each episode? Mm, sure. So I'm going to be focusing on different topics. Some themes will be on personal power, status, privilege. Other times, like I mentioned a moment ago, I'll be talking about the techniques of from improvisational theater and how they can make us happier, kinder, and sexier human beings. Uh, I might Oh, I'll definitely from time to time be talking about, as we've been discussing today, the partner skills in interpersonal communication challenges. So it might be coaching people how to have difficult, delicate conversations or being able to successfully manage a bully, whether they're in the boardroom or on the playground. Because these skills you can teach to your children how to be assertive without being aggressive, Uh, teach others how to treat us with respect. And it applies also in all different areas, mediating, negotiating, presenting. So those are the different themes. And then on most of my shows, I'll be including a guest who I'll be doing more of the interviewing with them. I will also be planning to share communication stories, disasters, and successes, both my own and from listeners. So I'll be inviting people. I'm going to give you a call for action at the end of the um, interview today to... To tell you how you can participate in that and I'll also from time to time be doing live coaching either with a listener calling in or with a guest on the show that sounds fantastic I'm looking
2: forward to it I'm going to mark my calendar too <laughs> cool <laughs> so we're coming to a close and I'm just hoping that before we close you can tell us like during the past 20 years of working as a coach can you just pick a
1: client success story that pops into your mind Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I've got two juicy ones. Okay, here's one that I'm thinking of. Uh, this took place, so, so in 2012, I started teaching up in Lithuania, a three-day executive presence course at Baltic Management Institute in the capital in Vilnius. And I had uh, the first class, 50 s- senior leaders. And this is, was their first course that kicked off their 18-month executive MBA course. hmm mm-hmm. And this is a testimonial that comes from one of the participants who was in that course who was a sales manager. And I remember he said to me, Amy, after I took your course, I went to see my most difficult, aggressive customer. This guy was 100% predator. This customer is also a wholesaler. So what this means is that on one hand, he's my partner. On the other hand, we're competitors in some of the distribution channels. Annual sales with this customer are 2 million euros. Every meeting before was always the same. Both parties would be hiding something and bluffing. So before this new, this recent meeting, I decided I'm going to go into this meeting with a partner mindset. And I prepared for the meeting and the results were very positive. And he said, first of all, it was like, it was the first time I was open with this customer. And I told him what I liked, what I didn't like. I didn't hide anything. Step-by-step, the customer started to open up as well. And it was really fun to feel that everything you told us was working. The second very important step during this meeting was to implement something called smartnership, which we learned in the executive MBA negotiation course just after yours. We started looking at what money, besides the $2 in annual sales, we were both losing. We both found that by not being open, we were losing an additional 1.5 million euros simple, really simple. We both agreed. After the meeting, I got an order for 150,000 euros. And for the next year, we aim, we're aim we aiming at 3.7 million in turnover. That's a 10% growth plus 1.5 million additional that we found by using the smartnership approach and the partnership mindset. Wow.
2: Well, Amy, do you think that you could give us one and a half minutes advice to a Someone who might consider themselves a predator and one and a half minutes advice to someone who might
1: consider themselves prey. Oh, that's great. Okay. So, for a predator, I would invite you to. What's great about being virtual so much is now that many of us are turn on your webcams, make sure they can see you, make sure you can see them, make sure you're friggin' smiling, people. <laughs> Even the prey, a smile is a good idea. So that's one thing is, be, and, and people, uh, women are particularly sensitive to when strangers say, oh, smile, honey. We, we just want to slap them. Though c- consider it this way. A smile is literally saying, today you're safe. Mm. Today you won't die. So I would say for the predator, that alone is going to make a difference. And for the prey, if, check to see if you move too much or too frequently, you're going to want to keep your body nice and still and hold direct eye contact. So those would be my two tips. Great. Thank you, Amy. Amy, we're just about out of time. How can listeners connect with you? Yeah, I, um, any of my social media channels, you can find me at Amy Carroll Coaching. And that's two R's and two L's. Two R's and two L's. <laughs> yes, that's two great. R's and two L's. Exactly. And my, um Oh, oh, this is the action step. Remember, I said that after every show, there's going to be an action step. Well, here's the action step for you today. I want you to drop me a line with your communication challenges, your mishaps, your conundrums, and your successes. Because I'll, and and if you don't want to include your name, you could just say, you know, this is anonymous. (laughs) And what I'll do is I'll be sharing it on the air and talking about. This And it's so powerful for people to hear other people struggling with similar things. And then I'll give advice and suggestions and ideas for what you can do to perhaps reverse that situation. Now, what people can do is just send me an email at amy at carolcoaching.com. And Karen, I want to give a big shout out to you, girl. Thank you so much because it's just Thank been you, Amy, wonderful to have you on. But, you know, I've heard some of it before, but it's always fantastic to hear you again. Awesome. And thanks, you, thanks to the listeners for tuning in. I'm just so excited about being able to start this show, and I'm looking forward to you joining me in the future. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in next week when I'm going to be interviewing the founder of the Predator Prey Partner Model and Recovering Prey, my sister, Pat Kirkland. All right. Thanks, everyone, and happy partnering.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.